to ContraCast, the show about all things tech and games and gadgets and general geekiness. My name is Paul Kwiatkowski. With me today is John Kwiatkowski and Michael Pulowski. You guys want to go right ahead and tell people where they can get in touch with you? You guys there? <laughs> yeah, we're here. Wait for Mike to go first. Oh, okay, I'll go this time. Um, hi, I'm Mike Pulowski, and you can get in contact with me at twitter.com forward slash Mike Pulowski. And uh, my name's John Kwiatkowski. Get in touch with me at uh, twitter.com slash j underscore Kwiatkowski. Sounds good. As always, you can, you can uh, follow me at twitter.com slash contrapaul. And if you're interested in looking at the show and other show-related type articles, you can go to contrapaul.blogspot.com. Um, <clears throat> we're going to take the advice of someone who reviewed the show kind of on instructables.com and uh, be a little more professional about this episode and get right into business. So no uh, trolling around, I suppose. So right off the bat, we are going to be discussing um, the evolution, no, excuse me, our history with racing games this week. Um, And also we're going to be going down this uh, crispygamer.com game of the decade contest, sort of voting challenge thing that they did. Um... And we have lots of fun things to do uh, aside from that as well. So let's get right off into the news-type segments. Uh, Mike, there was a uh, crazy little light spiral in the sky over Norway. Do you want to explain what that was? Two of them by now? Um, uh, do you say Mike to explain those? <laughs> if he, Mike, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I, I, I thought John was going to go ahead. Um, okay, well, I'll do it. Either one of you that knows what's going on with those. About a week ago, an odd spiral showed over Norway, and your best picture of it, it is like, uh, think of someone like in a circus who's got one of those, I don't know what they're called, it's like a long, long ribbon on a stick, and they spin it around. Think of one of those up yeah, in the just, upper atmosphere. That's what we said, a spiral in the sky. <laughs> you didn't have to clarify what a spiral is. <laughs> anyway, but um, you know, a lot of people immediately speculated that oh, it's aliens. It's you know something's going on, and then about half a day or two day after it was spotted, and using many different photos and videos taken from it, a scientist came out with a 3D model of what he thinks happened, and his idea was that a piece of space junk with fuel on it came in and was spinning, and fuel was coming out the side and the back, because there were two spirals, one a tight-knit long one behind it, and a, you know, a very spread-out wide one. And that 
theory held for a day or two until the Russians finally admitted that they did fire a missile and it did fail. One of the engines went wrong, the missile went sideways in the upper atmosphere, and it created this very interesting phenomenon. And then about a couple days later, the very same thing happens in a very similar, you know, an area, you know, within about a thousand miles of there, except someone's caught it on video before it actually started spiraling out of control. And very visibly, something, you know, is going, turns sideways, and spins. And so that, you know, refuted any people's beliefs that the Russians were making this up, that they fired a missile, and it was a cover-up of aliens didn't know it was actually a missile gone wrong. So, unfortunately, no aliens are visiting Norway. And uh, that's about it with that phenomena for now. Until it happens again, anyway. Sounds good. Um, so, also, this week, um, we started getting uh, actual photos of the uh, Google phone. Um, a little bit of backup on that. You know, people, people thought that the G1, I guess, was the Google phone. And so this week, um, we started getting pictures out of the Google Nexus One or the HTC Nexus One phone, which is apparently uh, featuring the Android 2.1 operating system and is built entirely, the software and is built entirely by Google to be, I guess, the best phone ever created or something like that. Um, we started seeing pictures this week come out of it, and it looks pretty nice. It's uh, about as thin as an iPhone, and it certainly, you know, looks about as stylish, has a decent camera. What do you guys think of that? Um, I really like the clarity of the front screen. When um, I first saw the pictures of it, it reminded me of the inside of my um, my Envy Touch. It just has a really clear screen, and um, it kind of looks like the iPhone, but only with, uh, I think that's a, I don't know if that's a button on the front or if it's a, uh, it looks scroll like a wheel. I don't know. It looks kind of like a scroll wheel from I don't Blackberry. I think that from the, uh, side view they have on, uh, Gizmodo, and it looks like a scroll wheel. Really? It might just be a, you know, elevated button, but. I would bet on it being just a button, because, I mean, you know, it I might. can't think of any other droid operating systems that need a uh, scroll wheel. But, you know, yeah, it wouldn't make sense to have one, but it does look like one. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and my impressions of it are, you know, I like to wait till I can see one, you know, firsthand to make a file, but um, it looks really good. And it's, you know, quite a thing like the iPhone. And its shape is a little odder. It's not quite as fluid. And, um, but the screen does look very clear. And it's got, seems to have four home buttons at the bottom, which might not be tied to the screen, which I actually kind of like. Yeah. And uh, what do you think about those, Paul? Well, the screen is nice, but a few buttons at least I would enjoy. Oh, those are solid. Well, I wonder if they are or not. That's I think weird. it's solid built into the touch screen. But the not weird the thing to me is that, you know, this phone apparently is going to be sold uh, directly from Google, not not tied to any uh, carrier, and it's unlocked, and so you can put it on any okay. network. Um, the weird thing to me is that for something that's coming out of a company like Google, you would almost expect it to be more, I don't know, more stylish. I mean, this phone doesn't look anywhere near as cool to me as an iPhone or even a Droid, you know? Yeah, we also haven't, you know... Of course, yet, so. if anything, I'd say this looks like a typical HTC phone. 
Uh, uh, true, yeah. It I does. Mean, like the HTC Dream or Hero. <clears throat> but it's got a high-resolution display. Apparently, it's an OLED display. So, uh, that's cool. Anyway, yeah, it looks very clear. Um, but Gizmodo does have a, a list of um, reasons why we need to calm down about the phone, not get too hyped up about it, and stuff like that. And yeah, well, yeah. It, you know, it's just a, it's just an HTC phone running Android. It's not like it's, you know, a new concept or anything. Yeah, but, I have to wonder. I mean, how much better this will be? I, you know, I think we tend I, to think that because it's coming out of Google, it's just going to be magical, but. <laughs> um, that's what uh, Gizmodo said. It's like Google doesn't have superpowers as one of their reasons. Well, yeah, that's the thing is how much better can this really be? I mean, it's running Android. We already know how good Android is, you know, and it's HTC hardware. It's not like they contracted with, I don't know, Toshiba or someone to build absolutely insane hardware for this. So, you know, we still have a lot to, to see. I mean, there's been very little actual uh, info on this phone. We do have the pictures, though, and it seems that Google employees really like it. Um, which is a good sign, because, I mean, of all the people to like a phone, I guess Google employees are pretty high up on the list of people that have played around with lots of different devices. Um, but you can expect to see this in January for an un, uh, undetermined amount of money. Uh, I really am wondering, though, because it's not going to be subsidized by any kind of company. You know, I wonder, it, yeah, I wonder what it is with a you know, company subsidization, what it'll be priced at. Um, it reminds me, you know, I just saw there was an infographic um, a, com- a couple weeks ago about the iPhone and how how much money is being made off of it and stuff. Uh-huh. And it turns out it costs one hundred seventy eight dollars to make the two hundred dollar iPhone. Um, yeah. And, but the thing is that it's that AT and T pays Apple five hundred fifty dollars for each one, <laughs> fully knowing that. Um, Fully knowing that it will not break even, even until the seventeenth month of being on contract. Yeah, but, but they're going to get that anyway because the contracts are locked in for so many months. Exactly. And so, especially with like data contracts, they're yeah. so expensive. Anyway, let's uh, let's move right along. What do we have next on the agenda? Um, I guess we should go ahead and do the link app of the week. Um, link of the week we will uh, talk about it for a minute, is this life hacker list, or Gizmodo list. Actually, I think it's a life hacker list. The um, No, it's a Gizmodo. Okay, most popular free Windows downloads of 2009. Oh, I was thinking of the life hacker when it's got a got that cool... Um, yeah. Whatever it's called, login, login changer. Anyway, this is a great list um, just of a number of programs you can download for your... Uh, computer that are, I think they're free, all of them. The one that stood out to me was this motion detection app. Oh, yeah, that one that one uh, seemed really good. It makes I me thought wanna, I might, you know, try that out. I know, it makes me want to get, like, two uh, two webcams or something, <laughs> you know, and rig up a security <laughs> system. Um, that would uh, that'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty awesome. And the nice thing is, my cat. <laughs> exactly. Well, you, you set it up so that it uh, takes a picture or it can just start recording and then save it whenever there is motion detected, so you can actually see what it is, uh, which is pretty nice. But there's also a lot of other other ones in here. You know, you got the uh, the ones you'd expect, I guess, like Handbrake and Firefox and Google Earth and stuff. But then there's a whole bunch of other ones that are. I like the um, 
Hulu video downloader one. Yeah. I, I think you showed me that early, earlier or something like that, but um, did, did you have this before, Paul? I, you know, I think I might have downloaded it once, but I never used it. Yeah, but it seems it seems like a really good concept that it just takes like um the video URL of um a Hulu video. I don't know exactly how it works, but I, it, yeah. it downloads the video from the streaming thing, so you can save it to your uh, computer. I don't know how legal that is. Well, it says I don't understand this exactly because it says it doesn't work anymore. Oh, okay, I understand. This this used to work. And so it was popular when it was available, but now it doesn't work, so that makes sense. Oh, okay. So they changed the security or something on Hulu. Mm. Yeah, so apparently it was illegal. Um, I'm kind of surprised there's not a uh, Windows Security Essentials tool in here. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's the, uh, the security that Lifehacker said you no longer need to pay for security for Windows. That's good enough. Um, and it, sir, it seems to be. I mean, it's doing... You know, when I had Norton on here, it would once in a while, you know, pop up and tell me something, and that's the same thing that uh, a Windows tool does now. You know, it says, oh, some charge is trying to access your hard drive. Oh, um, I do like this thing. Uh, it's a computer repair kit pack. Did yeah. you see this? Which it has, um, it's like a, um, it, it's, it has all these, like, removal tools and repair tools that are in, like, a pack, so you can, like, oh, cool. remove stuff from your computer. Like, one of them is the McAfee remover tool, and if you ever use McAfee, um, <laughs> I think um, it's horrible. It's a virus protection program, but I think once you uninstall it, it installs, like, malware malware on your computer that won't go away unless yep. you actually reinstall McAfee to remove it. <laughs> and this happened, this happened to my grandma's computer. It has, like, a... Um, it has a uh, setup file that'll remove it for you, which I think is funny. They have a Norton removable one too. That's funny. And you then know, it's, it has it's, like a, um, deleted file data recovery. So if you accidentally delete files completely from from your computer, you can recover them as long as you haven't written over them. The weird thing this uh, this list does not have CCleaner in here, and usually they love to put that in these little download app guides. I know I knew it was in the uh, free. Most thing the, the yeah I guess I'm surprised not to see that because I enjoy that it's great it's you know it's um it goes in and it deletes all kind of browsing it's more junk than you knew you had yeah well it, you'd think there wasn't much but it somehow manages to clear out you know almost a gigabyte of data every time I use it and then it can also clear out the uh, registry data which is great so but anyway we'll get a link to that in for you guys and also the app of the week is actually not an app, but it's a website. Uh, oops. Looks like I hit something wrong. Oh, app. The website is called appeventcalendar.com, and it's appvent, like you would say, advent. Um, <clears throat> and it's a free iPhone game every day of uh, December. Now, you might, you might say, well, there's tons of free games. Well, this isn't just previously free games. This is actually pay games that are going free for one day each. So if you check back in every day, you'll get uh, you know at least $25 worth of games. There's been several $2 and $3 games so far, though. Um, uh-huh. and most of them are pretty high quality and a lot of fun to play, so um, that's the app of the week. Okay, cool. 
Okay. Now, we have two things we are going to discuss in the topics section. One of which is the our history with racing games, and the other is this uh, crispy gamer list of the games of the decade, and we'll break that whole list down. Which do you guys want to talk about first? Uh, yeah, for the racing games or the games of the decade? Uh, one of those two. Uh, I'll look at a racing game. Sure. All right. Uh, yeah. So, who wants to start? I guess we should just... The goal of this, we're just going to kind of talk about different uh, games we've played over the years and up until now and what racing games impacted us the most and what, you know... Got to start off this. with the biggest impact for me up until recently. Yeah. Need for Speed Porsche Unleashed. Yeah. <laughs> that game was... The bomb, hands down, best Need for Speed game I've ever played. Uh, will you say that or feel the same, Paul? Um, possibly. It's hard to say. You want? What do you think? What was the first racing game you remember playing? That was the first one I really caught on to. I mean, Need for Speed Three was a little bit, but I never really played that game in depth. Oh yeah, we did. I mean. Like, I didn't play through the game like we did for Porsche. Oh, well. Do you guys, uh, I think, honestly, the first racing game, other than Cruisin' USA, that really stuck with <laughs> me was Mario Kart uh, 64. True. So much fun. I mean, we, we, we just played that, like, last week at Mike's place. <laughs> it was so oh, yeah. simple, which is what made it so fun. What's that? It was so simple, which is what made it so fun. Well, it just had it had the uh, the makings of a really addictive game. You had the the whole box pickup system turned it from a a racing game, which by itself is not all that entertaining to you know an eight year old or seven year old. Uh huh. Um, and it made it into some kind of an action game, which was a lot more fun. <clears throat> I would say of all the Need for Speed games, though, um, Underground Two is my favorite. Yeah. By far. I mean, Porsche Unleashed. Uh, I, I don't know. The Underground 2 games were fun, but I didn't enjoy them for the... I mean, at Need for Speed 2, they were getting better and better with driving dynamics by the time Porsche Unleashed should come out. And then it seems like they just went the opposite direction with Underground games where you could pull, you know... It was feasible to take a Honda Civic around a 90-degree turn at 100 miles an hour and it not flip. Well, Porsche Unleashed was the fifth game in the Need for Speed uh I guess releases and it was of all of them. It's I, I think even more so than Shift. It's probably the most realistic as far as driving goes. Um, I haven't played that yet. So. Shift I, I haven't either, but it's it actually is, seems to be a return to that sort of thing. Um, okay. Finally. Well, yeah, it got higher ratings than the than all of their games in previous years, but um, I think. Uh, I don't know, Underground 2, just for the amount of time I spent in it, but that's not... I think I, I'd still call Forza my favorite racing game. Oh, yeah. O- overall, Forza is definitely the top for me. Mike, how about you? Um, I know I played uh, Forza... I think it was Forza 2 at um, Yale's place. Um, I really like the Forza games. I owned um, Need for Speed Carbon on the Wii. Uh, that that was actually a pretty fun racing game for the Wii. Um, the controls you had were hard to get used to as far as the, the Wiimote tilting thing. Um, that was a good game. I, I remember playing Need for Speed Underground. Uh, I think that was like a couple of years ago, actually, so I'm kind of behind on those. 
But uh, I'd have to say my favorite would be Initial D. I I, I was about to say that I was just <laughs> after I said that I, I happened to look over and I had this stack of business cards and on top of them I have my three Initial D cards. So I was like, oh wait, yeah, I've got my I've got my one Initial D card on my shelf. Oh my god. What a, fun, what a fun game. Sylvia Spec R, Subaru, WRX, STI, and RX-7 Spirit R. Uh, um, I was pretty bad. See, the thing is, this game, the initial D, you have to treat like an arcade game. I remember I remember John and I got good at uh, Forza, and then we went to go <laughs> play it, and and so the game starts, and I eased onto the gas, and I'm like, oh, why did that guy take off so fast? And then I realized you actually just have to slam the pedal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the controls are completely, completely realistic, especially since you downshift and quickly pump the brake, and you automatically go into a drift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how easy it is to drift. Exactly. Um, oh, let's see. Aside from that, though, what makes, what makes your favorite your favorite, Paul? Like well, if I'm thinking, I mean, Initial D is a lot of fun just because I like the anime behind it and the story and everything, but I think Forza... Love. What's that? Which we've all watched all of. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, Underground 2, I would almost call, I just think Forza is a little more fun um, overall. Let me talk about Underground, though, because I know you're going to talk about Forza. So I, I really enjoyed Underground 2. I mean, it had a great soundtrack, um... The, the customization, though, was what was so much fun, because it took basically RPG elements and put them into a car game where you had to do races and you'd get money and then you could use that to buy necessary upgrades like Blue Neon to put under my Fiat. All sorts of other... Necessary upgrades, like, you know, 20-inch rims. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the best thing about it is that it's... It was still a little before all sorts of cars were hitting 20-inch rims, so you'd put them on the car, and you could only go up to 18 on yeah. on most of them, you know. <clears throat> Those were, you know, unbelievably massive of the Escalade. I just enjoyed the world in that, you know, as... as, as uh, it was, as it was, a, good, it was a good uh, view for, like, a racing game that was just very open, such like an RPG. And the thing is, after that, you went to Carbon and Most Wanted and whatever the game came after that, Undercover, I think, or I don't know. So, uh, I think that's the thing that's different about um, Need for Speed games. Is it's like more of an open, you know, kind of like... Well, the funny thing is... Thing it, versus Forza, it's kind of like, you know... Well, it, see, it didn't start out that way. Need for Speed started out as, as a high, high-powered cars, and I'm talking Ferraris and Lamborghinis and everything driving on closed courses, and then they slowly started adding in, like, traffic, and by Need for Speed 3, you had police and traffic and everything, and then, uh... You're going, you know, well, through something to do with the Fast and Furious movies. Well, no, because that came... Need for Speed 3 was 90, 98 or 99. 98, I think, and then Porsche Unleashed was, um... There was Need for Speed High Stakes, which was a little more uh, influenced by that sort of thing. And then Porsche Unleashed, I guess, just hit at a bad time. It was uh, very much a history-type game, you know? I mean, you yeah. got a full history of Porsche, and it, it really gave you quite a cool appreciation for the brand. Um, but then everything after that, you had Hot Pursuit 2 and then Underground, and Underground changed Need for Speed substantially. Oh, yeah. Because it was the most popular Need for Speed ever, I guess, up until that it was it was the first game that really got off the groove of track racing system. 
Well, but but the more important thing was that the, the country had gone into the Fast and the Furious craze, and so a game like oh, yeah. so Undertale comes just out at the right time. Well, yeah, obviously EA knows how to market things at just the right time. But <laughs> uh, anyway, let me just get back, and I'll just say that uh, Underground Two just had a lot of freedom to it, and it was a lot of fun to know the world, and the driving was realistic enough that it was fun to do and arcadey enough that it was easy to master. Um, and I enjoyed it a great deal. So, uh, John, you want to tell us why Forza is such a great game? Or do you want to take a leave of absence? <laughs> I'm back alone. I'm joking. John, John, in case you guys don't know, John is a master of telling us when he's going to be not at the microphone for that particular second. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. Um, we can cut that out. At least we don't have to yeah, hear sorry. your roommate taking a shower, Paul. <laughs> you, can you guys hear him? Yeah. That's, oh, that's funny. That's, that's funny. The door's shut. Uh, you know. Yeah, I can hear it too, but... Um, it's not even that loud to me. Yeah. Now, my favorite's got to be hit. Aside, proportionally, she's my second. And I love that for the heritage and the appreciation for a show that it taught me. And the Monte Carlo maps. Oh, exactly. And you... The thing in that game is, you basically, when you're done, could drive every map eyes closed because there were not many of them, and you knew all of them inside and out, including all the little shortcuts. And it was stupidly hard, so you had to go back and try. Yeah, <laughs> some of the shortcuts you have like six inches side by side going through like a hundred yard long alley, and you have to hit it just right or you mess up. Also, the Autobot map was quite something. Oh yes, but um, my favorite has got to be Forza hands down because. That, to me, was the first one that really really took the realism from, like, the, took it from the, like, weird city tracks and stuff to actual tracks that exist, except for just one or two. And um, also the ability to somewhat realistically customize cars. And um, I'm trying to think, Top Gear did a test a while back. They ran uh, a stock NSX around Laguna Seca. And did it in one minute and thirty seconds, and then they took a, you know, did it in real life. Then after they done the video game and ran it in I think one minute thirty five seconds, and then did the same thing for modified cars, and it was you know slightly faster in the game, which just accounts for kind of the um, the ease of use. And so um, you know, it turned out to be. Even though it you know feels fast sometimes, it's about to be quite accurate as far as the uh, physics and speed goes. Yeah, I mean, you know down to about like one percent, one two percent. And so that really like you know I've used it a lot of times. I used it most recently when I was working on my own car to uh, change the camber under the suspension. I you know worked in the game for a while to figure out something I liked, and then did the same thing in my car, and it turned out working quite well, actually. Well, that's one way to justify playing video games. Exactly. But, uh, and, you know, I took it to a shop and had it checked after I did it. It turned out nice, but, um... He's opening a creaky door. You can, like, die by a knife to the back in a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think it's worth noting that uh, we haven't mentioned Gran Turismo at all. Uh, no, we haven't. We'll get there, because... No, I don't. I don't think we will, because we haven't. I mean, you haven't played Gran Turismo. Uh, I played three. That's the only one I played. But but to know, I mean, 
I'm let you finish, but uh, I'm uh, just that... I'm just saying that uh, you know you're talking about how four's up. You no, know, I'm happy for you and all, but I'm, I'm happy you for you. <laughs> I just I was just meaning that you've been talking about Forza, yeah, but um, Street Fighter Three, especially was just on my with Forza with the uh, realism. They tested that alongside, and it came out with very similar numbers. Um, yeah, no, I just mean you've been talking like Forza has been the the primary game to all of a sudden bring you know real life tracks, but back in '97 actually it was Gran Turismo that did that. You're right, and I, yeah, I totally forgot about that, but um. Back to this, and one thing I loved about it is, you know, the very extensive kind of campaign you have to go through. I mean, there, there are two cheat codes the entire game. One gives you, like, $50 billion, and one gives you level 50, which unlocks everything. But, um, see, I loved it, because you start out with, you know, just a little bit of money, you can buy any car. And as you level up, it's not like you're unlocking, you know, one car at a time, and they're giving you basically what you start with. You pick your region to start, and then as you go through the game, you unlock more and more exponentially until you hit a point where even on easy, the AIs are unbelievably hard to beat, which I hit, like, a while before I finished it, but I've finished the game for a while since then. Indeed. And, you know, I use it now today is just mainly as a uh, test bed for modifications I do to my own car as far as suspension and such goes. You know, and as far as also engine tuning, so if I tune the turbo in the game and then modify the turbo in my car for performance. And uh, that's, you know, why it's my favorite. And uh, how are yours, Mike? What you got um, coming our way? Why is my initial D my favorite? Indeed. Indeed. Um, Besides, because it's an awesome anime. Space uh, Speed Lover, game not over. Okay, Paul, thank you for your singing. Uh, <laughs> great job. Uh, I'd have to say Initial D is my favorite racing game because, one, I don't play many racing games. Um, I haven't played, you know, racing games for very long. I had The only one I owned was Need for Speed Carbon for the Wii. And, um... <laughs> Sammy Versteed Carbon for the weed? Yeah, for the weed. <laughs> well, I was reading your post, and I was like, uh... learning my words here. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Initially, it's my favorite, just because I like... I liked, um, going to the, um, place where they had it, which was, uh, called Adventure Landing. I don't know if you have one of these where you live. But they have, like, they have the whole thing set up where it's just, like, the TV... And you got the gas pedal and, like, the steering wheel and the shift thing and all that stuff. And at first I thought it was stupid because it only had up and down shift thing. And then you play the game first off, and it's just like you go around in a circle, not many tight turns. And, and it's we not failed fun. the first time. Yeah. Well, the first time you just floor it all the way and you win the first couple races. But then it gets harder, and you're like, wait, how do I beat this? And then I had to have... um. Jake, one of my friends, showed me how to drift in the game, which is you just downshift and you step on step on the brake and and then step on the accelerator. And it's really uh, it was just a really a challenge to beat the whole game. It cost me a lot of money to <laughs> to play it. Especially the yeah, yeah I probably not like, as much as the normal you game. The last level. It. Did I what? Huh? I remember there were five of us watching you. and You finally beat Takami for the last time. No, no, oh, no, I did. Beat Bunta. 
No, 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 no. I beat Tash, which he was the hardest one, which is, uh, he's the main character in the anime, and you have, and I beat him, finally. Five tries or something? Yeah, it took like five tries, I finally beat him, and then right after that, you have to race his dad, which is Boonta, and he's in like a, uh, WRX, and Isubi, and he's like really fast, and I haven't played it since, and I had my, um, I heard they removed the machine from the, uh, from the arcade now. Probably did it. So, yeah, I apparently it was like broken. Or buy one, which is you know. Yeah, it kept um, it kept breaking or something. Someone said, and they just weren't making enough money off of it. But if if uh, I had it was an expensive game there. Yeah, if I had the cash lying around, I would definitely buy it. Or if I could buy like an emulator and then buy like <laughs> foot pedals and a steering wheel, I would definitely do that. <laughs> but I just don't have the cash right now for that. Maybe later. Yeah. Someday. Someday. my favorite game. Or racing game. Indeed. Okay, now to the next topic. And I started us off, Mike, with this one. Mike with this one? What? <clears throat> I think we'll talk about this one. Um, I've only looked at this Crispy Gamer uh, review thing. Or rating. For the uh, year. Yeah, so what this is, is a full rundown of what they consider, what four people on their staff consider the games of the decade. <laughs> four people on their staff. Nice. Lots um, of people. Well, I mean, Crispy Gamer is a pretty big website. It's, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's got the coolest comic ever on there. I mean... With experience points? Yes. There's 16... There's four divisions, and 16 games begin in each one, and then basically the users voted down... Uh, which voted each matchup down, you know, it's like a sports bracket. Um, and so it's interesting. So you guys want to just run down uh, some of the more interesting matchups in this and uh, yeah. what your comments are? First off, I'm going to say that uh, in the very top division, if Nintendogs had beat Metroid Prime, I would have had uh, no faith anymore in people. <laughs> I don't even know why that was on there. So is this, what's is this like just an, is this rated by console? Is that what um, it is? Well, come to think about it, no, it can't be because uh, it oh. looks like that at first, but it's not. There's just a high high amount of Nintendo games in the first one because there's an Xbox game, a Dreamcast game, some other games. The weird thing to me, some of these matchups don't seem to go together at all. I mean, they seem like like for instance, if you look at the bottom of the the box, Super Mario Galaxy versus Boom Blocks. Yeah. Boom Blocks may be a fun game, but there's no way it's ever going to win against Super Mario Galaxy. Oh yeah. yeah. Same way. Same way. If you look above, um, well, I'm actually surprised at three and fourteen. Wind Waker versus Psychonauts, uh, because no one played Psychonauts <laughs> at all. Psychonauts. Psychonauts actually won that one, though. It did. Well, Psychonauts is supposed to be one of the best games ever created, actually. Um, it's on Xbox. I just have never brought myself to be able to play it. Um, <clears throat> the weird thing to me is how far Smash Brothers Melee went. Well, I guess not. It beat uh, Metroid Prime, and that's understandable. WarioWare Inc. WarioWare Inc. Mega Micro Games it beat, which is an obvious one. Then it beat Metro Prime, and then it beat Katamari Damacy, um, which is kind of... I mean, I'd expect that. 
And then it went down to Shadow of the Colossus, which is which was called by other people the game the best game of the decade. It's a PS2 game, and apparently you go down taking down these colossi. Um, <clears throat> I never had a PS2, so I never played it, but it looks interesting. So in the top division of all the games in it, which included things like Ico and Wind Waker, uh, Jet Grind Radio, Melee, Super Smash Brothers Melee, <clears throat> won it. So I, I guess that makes sense. I'm kind of surprised that... Um, I guess Super Mario Galaxy didn't go farther. I don't know. Anyway, Division 2, the Alucard Division. Um, some of these, again, I was kind of surprised by how they pat- matched these things together, you know? Like, the very first matching, Bioshock versus The Force Unleashed. I don't even... I'm not sure what, who would put The Force Unleashed on any kind of list for Game of the Decade, you know? I mean, but Bioshock was, of course, going to win. And then Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. Of course Portal was going to beat that. Uh, Anyway, let's look down the rest of this. I mean... (laughs) Bioshock's going to beat Portal. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't expect that, actually, but it did. (laughs) Look down at uh, Fallout 3 versus Dragon Quest VIII, Journey of the Cursed King. That could be the that could be the greatest game ever created, but I don't know anyone who's played it. <laughs> so of course Fallout's gonna win. Half Life Two versus Dead Rising. I mean, really? Dead Rising, a decent decent zombie game on the Xbox <laughs> versus uh, quite a game. Anyway, this this whole division is basically it seems like uh, action and that sort of games versus each other. And also, I'm just picking this up, but uh, each division division seems to be someone's last name. Chocobo put together by four people. Let's John, hold on a second. Koopa is something from Super Mario's. I'm not sure what Alucard is from. Chocobo are I mean, the Bo Jackson division. Well, yeah, Bo Jackson's a name. Chocobo is something they ride in. It's like a bird they ride in Final Fantasy. I don't know. Anyway. See, like each person made their own list and put them together, and then people voted from that. Yeah, exactly. So the Elucard division it comes down to Bioshock and Half Life Two. We'll get into the uh, we'll get into the you know more final stuff in a minute. Um, the next division was kind of funny to me because it was like RPGs and then uh, puzzle games. RPGs uh, and WoW and well, the story. That is a that is an RPG. I know. I'm saying everything and then that. Well, no, but look at the rest of these. They're all puzzle games: Plants vs. Zombies, Peggle, Luminesce, Bejeweled, Braid. I think, just, I think they're just putting like strategy games together. Or something. I guess. Well, there's Civilization too. Um, so in these, uh, the big three in these that seem to win everything was Elder Scrolls IV, Oblivion, Knights of the Old Republic, and World of Warcraft. And it comes down to Knights of the Old Republic and well, it comes down to Knights of the Old Republic and World of Warcraft and Knights of the Old Republic. Peggle was put up against World of Warcraft and was actually you know in World of Warcraft. That's pretty funny. So that one we come down to uh, Knights of the Old Republic versus WoW, and then the final division was more like shooters, sports, and Guitar Hero. Um, The big ones in this were Halo that beat everything it was put against. Um, I was kind of surprised that. Call of Duty 4 was beat by Left 4 Dead because as far as the impact that both games had Call of Duty 4 had a much bigger impact than Left 4 Dead the same way that Advance Wars beat Guitar Hero 
that to me just says people are getting tired of Guitar Hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, I think Love for Dead was just like um, the first revolutionary zombie game that was actually like really good, and everybody enjoyed it when they played it. There's been several of, other zombie games. Well, but it came no out after Dead Rising, game. though. It came out after Dead Rising, and I guess it's just because it's a it's a four player co op game, you know. Yeah. Um, but it went all the way to the end, and so the final one was Halo versus Left 4 Dead in that division. Um, and some things I'm surprised with in this, like Rock Band was beat. Rock Band beat Battlefield 1942. Um, that's kind of a weird win, you know. That is there. Um. Anyway, and then Left 4 Dead beat Rock Band, <laughs> so I guess. I guess there's that. Move on to the next page. Let's see what we got here. Um, the final four came down to Super Smash Brothers Melee, which beat Shadow of the Colossus by a substantial margin. Half Life Two, which beat Bioshock two to one. And World of Warcraft, which handily beat Knights of the Old Republic. And then Halo, which beat Left 4 Dead by about twenty percent. Yep. <clears throat> so, from there we get to the final four. And did you guys uh, did you guys see the? Actually, I don't think I gave you a link of how this ended. No, I just I have I haven't even seen percentages. I just see the matchups. Well, it what happened is that they had the had the two versus each other. So they had Super Smash Brothers Melee versus Half Life Two, and they had WoW versus Halo, and. For, in all of the previous, they've been running, you know, tests on it to make sure that no IP address is voting more than once and, and whatnot. And then what, when they examined the results for these divisions, Super Smash Bros. Melee had over 2,000 votes from the same IP address, and <laughs> Halo had, like, 1,700 from the same IP address. And so both of those had beat their opponents, and after they threw out the uh, cheat votes that someone had rigged a bot to continually vote, um, Half-Life 2 beat Super Smash Bros. Melee, and WoW beat Halo. Um, and at least as far as the Half-Life goes, I was so happy. Because <laughs> if, if Super Smash Bros. Melee was a better game than Half-Life 2, something would again be wrong. That, that would have been a sad day. I mean, as fun as Super Smash Bros. is. So, the final two games in the Game of the Decade running on Crispy Gamer's website were World of Warcraft versus Half-Life 2. And by, I'm going to let John take a guess, because Mike already knows, but by .06, by uh, six hundredths of a percent. I would say Half-Life 2 beat out Halo. You did, you're correct. Well, no, it was a versus World of Warcraft. I, yeah, versus WoW. So, yeah, Half-Life 2, game of the decade. You think it's I deserved? Mean, who, who does not like the crowbar? I mean, come on. The crowbar? Come on, it's the gravity gun. The <laughs> crowbar and the grab gun. Crowbar is so 1998 and Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2 was not that great. Have you, but, Mike, you haven't played the whole game, though. Yeah, you haven't. You should get it on PC when it's on, like, a 75% off steal on, uh, deal on Steam. It'll be, like, $2.50. And you yeah. can play it, and then you'll understand. You can crank all the graphics up to max. You know, it's... Especially it. with the expansion parts for it, episode one and episode two, um, I I can't say I've ever played a more fun you know 
you know, as much fun as Modern Warfare 2 and everything is, um, it's it's such an awesome game. It's such an awesome story and experience and everything. <clears throat> and uh, I certainly agree with it, you know. I and mean, there's that one level that you're playing at hard where you're on the rooftops and the speedy, fast guys are jumping up out of nowhere and killing you. <laughs> well, it's I such a... that level, because you're always out of ammo. Exactly. There's so much variety to it. I mean, you'll be, you know... You'll be at one part of the game. You'll be using um, you'll be using the gravity gun to lift up boards and put them in front of you on the beach so that you don't uh, touch the sand and make the uh, oh, bugs yeah. come out. And then other parts of the game, you're fighting military forces, and then you're in an abandoned part of town shooting off. And then you're running through buildings trying to grab as many saw blades as you can to shoot at the enemy. <laughs> exactly. You always keep a stock of like three saw blades that you toss wherever you're gonna go. Um. But I think it, I think it's a worthy win, you know. As far as I mean, it was deci- decided by by people, so it's not you know like any critic just decided it was the best. But I certainly I certainly think uh, that it's a deserved win. As far as the other two, um, Super Smash Bros. Super Smash Brothers Melee and Halo, I think Halo they all gave reasons on here as to why these games should have won. You know why they should be the game of the decade. Um, Melee's reasons were were kind of dumb. As far as I mean, the guy who is who was fighting for them for for melee, he was just saying it's you know it's the quintessential uh, party game, and you play it with your friends, and people still pull it out and prefer it to brawl. I was kind of surprised by that. Um, melee was really fun, Paul. Uh, you, no, didn't, you didn't own a GameCube, but it was just really fun. I did play it a lot. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I'll, I'll give you that, but I wouldn't ever call it the best game of the last ten years. You know. Oh no, no, definitely so not. That's why that's why it just felt weird. I mean, it felt like he was just kind of trying to make up some stuff about why it had to be the best. Half Life Two obviously was a, was a big deal. Halo um, was a was a really big deal because it brought PC shooters to the consoles. Oh yeah, I mean up, up until really when that came out, PC. I mean the shooters were a joke on consoles, and then after that came out, uh, it really changed everything and. You know, if Halo had not come out, I don't know if we would have seen the certain like sales figures. I and mean, we saw we saw about six million sales of Modern Warfare Two in America in the last yeah, we month. Wouldn't, you wouldn't have seen near that. Well, no, no, we had five point eight million of those were on consoles, and like one point seven oh. hundred seventy thousand were on the PC. So you think about that. If this was ten years ago, and, and a shooter like that came out. All the sales would have been on the PC, and nothing would have. Yeah, you know, they would be reversed. Um, but it's just you know, Halo, and also it, it was what brought uh, first-person shooters, but it also brought the multiplayer gaming, because you could, even though there wasn't Xbox Live yet, you could hook up, uh, you could basically LAN Xboxes, and then you could have a LAN party with without PCs for the first time. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal, and then WoW, of course, um, has changed the whole. Workings of massively multiplayer online games. Everything that comes out now either copies it or you know says it's going to be better than WoW. <laughs> um, anyway, anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap the show up? Uh, uh, no, cover everything. And um, next week uh, it's gonna be more of a tech podcast, I think. Perhaps let me just say that um, this is the last show before we go home for the. The Christmas season, so hopefully yeah, we'll crank we'll out. Get there, probably. Yeah, we'll crank out a couple shows, and hopefully we'll get one recorded in uh, in studio as as I pan them on my fingers up and down. Yeah. 
because um, those shows, I don't, you know, we haven't done an in-studio show in a long time. Um, and while I, ki- I mean, I like Skype recordings, especially this Skype recorder, it cuts out noise and everything. Um, I think that there's better chemistry when we're doing, you know, in studio. And you can certainly hear it if you listen to radio shows where they're only on Skype, and then if you listen to some where they're in studio, it's a big deal. Because um, at least, I mean, you know, you, I don't have, you don't have to get people's attention by just interrupting them. You can just kind of nod and mm-hmm. nod and whatnot. Anyway, let me just say that John and I named our little design show that we're going to be trying to crank out next week. And, John, you want to go ahead and tell everyone the name? It's going to be called Shiny Bits Radio. Shiny Bits Radio. So it yeah. uh, refers to the shiny parts of things. And shiny it should things, be a lot of fun. It doesn't matter what's inside them as long as it's shiny. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we'll continue trying to get things out. You know, I'll finish the artwork for that, and uh, maybe. And I'll finish up a framework for the show and get a blog going, and uh, hopefully we'll have a show recorded before the end of the year. Several shows, hopefully. So thank you very much for listening in. This is uh, ContraCast episode twenty-one for December fourteen, two thousand nine. We'll see you next week.